Coming up on Please Bear With Me, Baylor takes care of business against SFA, but was it impressive enough? I've got some answers for you. Terrence Ganaway, T-Rex, JJ Perez, and all of the breakdowns and analysis you could want. This is Please Bear With Me. back for episode two of this season three of Please Bear With Me. Welcome in. My name is Scotty Swingler. I'm your host and producer of this podcast. Martin Thomas, who is helping me produce this podcast this season, out this week in Georgia visiting the in-laws. Best of luck to you, Martin. Hope we get you back next week. Coming up, we're going to talk about the game versus SFA. We're going to break down the upcoming matchup against UTSA along with guest JJ Perez. JJ covers UTSA for 247 Sports. We'll talk about the premiere of the brand new uniforms. Did you like them or not? And we'll talk about so much more. Thanks for tuning in this week. So let's start by acknowledging this. This is my big thought for the day. I think this is what we can all get behind as Baylor fans. Baylor simultaneously did exactly what they needed to do against Stephen F. Austin while also showing that they have a ton of work to do and a lot of things to approve upon before taking on Iowa State here in about four weeks. Say that again. Baylor simultaneously did precisely exactly everything you wanted them to do against Stephen F. Austin while also showing that they have a ton of room to grow and a lot of areas where they need to grow before moving into the Big 12 slate. So let's look at both angles of this. First of all, Baylor did exactly what they needed to do against Stephen F. Austin. You needed not only a win, but a dominating win. A win that would start the season off on a good note. A win that would prove that you're more than just an okay team, but you're a good team. Listen, don't take for granted that just two years ago, this same Baylor squad coached by the same coaching staff lost their opener to Liberty and then lost badly the next week against UTSA. And so if you just compare those two moments, the loss to Liberty to this win against Stephen F. Austin, you can see just how drastically Baylor has improved. And you don't want to let a team like Stephen F. Austin hang around. Not that they really had any real shot of beating Baylor, but if you let them hang around long enough, you never know what might happen. And so to put them away soundly, to put them away mostly early, to look really dominant through the first half when all of your starters are still playing most of the snaps was a really, really good thing for Baylor. And they compared well, I thought, with some of the other major teams in the country playing against opponents as inferior as Stephen F. Austin. I thought Baylor compared really well to some other big schools in that regard. And so it was a great game. The offense was clicking. I mean, things were working. You saw a lot of new looks from the offense that I really liked. A lot of getting multiple backs in the game. And when you've got three talented backs like Lovett, Hasty, and Ebner, getting all three in the game at the same time is a good idea, or at least getting two of the three in, in the game for most snaps is a good idea, particularly when a guy like Ebner is just as good of a receiver as he is a tailback. 
I really liked some of the creativity they showed with those guys. A lot of the read option, triple option, the new look triple option. I don't know if you caught this. We ran it twice against SFA and did it very well is when you're running a read option is your first read. So you can hand it to the flanking running back or the quarterback can keep to go around the end. And then instead of having a pitch man like the classic triple option, you have a wide receiver who hangs out by the sideline. And if the defense collapses on the quarterback who keeps the ball, he throws a quick pass out to the sideline for big gains. I believe the first time we ran it against SFA, it was Chris Platt that was the beneficiary of that and got a pretty good chunk of yardage after the catch. And I forget who got it the second time. Might have been Mims. I I can't remember. But um, we ran that play twice. And that's a really, really fantastic play for the personnel we have, as well as some of the other um, sending running backs in motion for swing passes and some of the other things we did out of that two-back formation were really nice or out of those shotgun formations Uh, you know, looking at uh, some of the running back talent we have. I thought that was really, really nice. And the offense overall looked good. I wish the offense had done a little more. I wish we had thrown the ball downfield a little more, showed a little more vertical ability. But against SFA, you don't need to. You're not trying to show opposing teams too much of what you can do downfield. You really want to protect some of that on tape until you play a team like Iowa State. You want to keep some of that in your back pocket. You don't want to run any true trick plays in a game like the one we just played against SFA. And so I thought the offense overall looked about as good as we could have expected. There were some holes. We'll talk about that in a minute. But again, we're talking about the good right now. Um, Looking at the defensive side of the ball, you could not have asked for a better start with two three and outs to open up the game. Uh, I think on both of those drives, SFA actually lost yardage overall. So that's a really good look for the starters on defense. Of course, then that third drive, SFA drove the length of the field and ended up scoring. What I noticed on that drive was that Clay Johnston had been subbed out for that drive and only came in when it was and goal for SFA. What Tim Watkins and somebody else reminded me on Twitter is that we also had some corners in some backup corners in instead of our starters, and a substitute at safety. And so you noticed immediately when you took out a few starters that SFA was able to drive the field, have a couple of big plays, and get down and score. And so that tells us something about the defensive depth, at least here at the start of the season. And it's important that those backup guys got some good playing time this week because you noticed as soon as a couple of our starters left the field, SFA was able to move the ball. And so you've got a really good core group on that defensive side of the ball, but we got to hope that we stay injury free because if you're relying on a middle linebacker that's not named Clay Johnston, if you're relying on safeties that aren't named Graylin Arnold or Chris Miller, we might have some trouble Chris Miller, by the way, speaking of someone who had a nice game, I know a lot of the flack has been given to him for taking poor angles, for losing where he is in coverage, and he played an outstanding game, made some big tackles, looked good in coverage. And, of course, on the good side, maybe the story of the game was special teams play. When was the last time Baylor had a kicker who could consistently kick touchbacks? Props to freshman Noah. I'm not even going to try to say this last name. You know who I'm talking about, Noah. Big leg Noah. That guy's pretty good. And then Isaac Power impressed some people. I was a little disappointed with a couple of his punts, but of course the last one, the boomer, toward the end of the game was nice and only going to improve as a freshman. Grayland Arnold looked really good on returning punts, did slip on the one that he might have run back, but looks like a good decision again by the coaching staff. I mentioned to 
the people I was sitting at the game with. I really like that Matt Rule puts his best playmakers at the return spot, unlike Art Bryles, who would always put a backup to the backup wide receiver back to return kicks because he didn't want his starters getting hurt. Matt Rule says, screw it, goes all out on special teams. I love that. Also can't deny that this is, I believe, the sixth game in a row. I forget where I saw that this week, but I think this is the fifth or sixth game in a row that we have blocked a punt or a kick. And that just goes to show that when you have a coach that emphasizes special teams, that makes it a priority, you really can change the game. And Blake Lynch blocking that punt uh, had me out of my seat, fired up, helps your offense with good field position, just outstanding special teams play from the Bears this weekend. Now looking at the second part of my statement. So Baylor did exactly what they needed to do this weekend, but also showed that we have a ton of room to improve. Here's, here's where that happens. First of all, everybody knows this season is going to ride or die on the offensive line. It just is. Keeping Charlie Brewer upright and opening holes for those three playmaking backs to do their thing. It's all going to ride on the offensive line. And while guys like Shihan J. Raja over at Dave Campbell marked Baylor's offensive line performance as a highlight of the day, I actually was really disappointed with just how much penetration some of those SFA defensive linemen were able to get, particularly on running plays up the middle and on passing plays. Jermichael Hasty looked non-existent, and it wasn't because he's not a dynamic running back. It's because he had nowhere to run. They were not able to open holes up the middle. John Lovett had a couple of really good holes and took advantage of them, obviously swinging the ball out to Ebner on the outside worked. But as far as running up the gut with Jamichael Hasty, who is a good tailback, the offensive line was just not able to create enough gaps for him to run through. And as for Charlie Brewer, had a decent game and not great. We would have liked to see Charlie Brewer have a better game. But listen, he was under pressure. He was running around a little bit. Not, again, not quite as much as I would like to see him do. I wish he could have made a few more plays with his legs. He was trying to make some quick throws all night, but he had SFA defenders in his face during those throws, and so that was a big disappointment. Baylor's offensive line has to improve because the defensive linemen moving forward are only going to get better. Defensively, you didn't give up the big play for a touchdown like they were so notorious for doing last year. But you still gave up a couple of really big plays that you shouldn't have, particularly in the passing game. And I got to tell you, even on those first couple of drives, SFA's quarterback made a good read and tried to get the ball to a wide open receiver and just wasn't able to do it. But the receivers often were open. And I don't know if that's because of the coverage that was called or if it's because defenders were actually missing on some assignments. But there was definitely some openings in the passing game that SFA just wasn't able to take advantage of because of who they are. And once again, when you get into Big 12 play, that's going to kill you. Lastly, I really was a little bit disappointed in Charlie Brewer. I think all of us are expecting him to be dominant, expecting him to be a playmaker. And it looked like, and whether it was the game plan or just opening day jitters, he just didn't quite have it yesterday. Missed on a couple of throws. Obviously, the deep ball to Mims where Mims just beat that cornerback like it was nothing and Charlie just overthrew him. There was obviously two plays in a row where Three SFA defenders got their hands on the ball because he was telegraphing throws or just throwing to his first option instead of checking to a second option when the defense was in a good spot. I think part of the game plan Saturday was get rid of the ball quick, get the ball out to receivers in space, don't take a lot of time to read the defense and throw the ball downfield. But I got to say I wish Charlie had played a little bit better, and I think he will as the season goes 
forward. But all that to say, Baylor's got a lot of room to improve facing a much better UTSA team this year than last year and also a much better team than that SFA team we just beat Saturday. I'm going to tell you more about that with J.J. Perez coming up right after this. Before we get into some of our guests for this week, I did want to give a couple of shout-outs. I feel like I owe Treston Ebner a shout-out. Three touchdowns this week on some incredible runs after the catch and looked real good running the ball as well. Treston Ebner, man, that is an underrated player on Baylor's squad. I almost put him in our top five Baylor players list last week favoring Raleigh Tejada over him but man Ebner can really do some dynamic things with the ball in his hands and let's not fail to mention John Lovett I think people assumed that just because John Lovett was looking at playing safety over the offseason that he isn't one of the best running backs we have maybe they've got him slotted in as the third best running back we have after Hastings Ebner John Lovett is a natural at tailback the guy has tremendous balance he shows great explosiveness he did it again this past game and I really like John Lovett's potential and I don't think he's reached his ceiling yet it sounds funny to say that a junior well I like his potential but I don't think he's reached his ceiling yet I think he's still got a long way to grow as a running back and I think that's really exciting the guy is just super solid and dynamic and a very very good player and I wanted to give a shout out to Gary Bohannon man I mean that guy played really well for his first big time college football game I know it was against SFA but don't take anything away from the guy he looked great he did what he does he ran the ball well he made some good throws he made one poor throw that should have gotten picked off but other than that he looked really solid made the right throws got loose on some scrambles and I don't know that he's as dynamic as RG3. I don't know that he's quite the dual threat of like a Seth Russell or even a Charlie Brewer, but the guy showed that it's going to be a really interesting competition between him and Jacob Zeno in a couple of years when Charlie Brewer graduates out of the program. Really excited to see more from Gary this season. Hopefully we can get him in against UTSA at some point, but again, Shout out to those three guys for playing outstanding games, and there's many more I could mention, but I did want to say how thrilled I was to see the play of Ebner and Lovett and Bohannon really shine on Saturday. We talked about that drive where SFA drove the length of the field and put in a touchdown early in the game against a combination of Baylor's starters and second stringers on defense. That entire time I was getting text from Terrence Ganaway talking about how he didn't feel like the three-man defensive front was helping the matter because the offensive linemen were able to climb to our linebackers, and that's what created some of those gaps and rather than try and explain to you what he was saying myself I'm gonna let Terrence talk because he knows football way better than I do and we all love him as Baylor's all-time single season rushing leader so I asked Terrence to give us some brief thoughts on the game and specifically on that three-man defensive front here's Terrence hey what's up this is your boy Terrence Ganaway with Bears Illustrated jumping on here with my boy Scotty Swingler uh, please bear with me uh, host and, and and good friend, you know, just really wanted to congratulate Baylor for starting out one and zero. I'm looking forward to a, a another fantastic outing this weekend against UTSA. I think it'll be a much tougher matchup uh, than SFA. Uh, kudos to the effort and them playing for four quarters. Uh, I thought Baylor did a great job of you know diagnosing some things earlier off, off uh, on offense and defense. And then exploiting some, you know, 
clear weaknesses of SFA and, and taking advantage of them. I thought the young guys, I mean, you think about, you know, we got Chris Platt, we got Denzel Mims, we got Blake Lynch, uh, you know, you know James you know, Lockhart, and I mean, James Lynch. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these players are, you know, seniors, but we got a ton of uh, big-time plays out of young guys. You know, junior, you know, these guys are juniors and seniors. We got, you know, we got Tristan Ebner, who's got two more years uh, this year and next year. Uh, you got R.J. Sneed is out there playing really great. You know, uh, Squirrel, Charlie Brewer for two more years. Love it for two more years. And, you know, it's just it's very, very great to see that all the stuff that Rule has been building, the foundation he has made with, you know, seniors like Taylor Young, Brian Nance, and those guys still being around the program and how that impacts the future success of Baylor football. And I know there's a lot of changes, you know, obviously Joey McGuire is on the defensive side of the ball this year, which I think brings a unique perspective to some of those guys that have never played offense. And I don't know if any of our coaches had any offensive experience, defensive coaches had any offensive experience prior to, you know, being at Baylor. But I tell you one thing, I, I played both sides of the ball in high school and literally I would diagnose plays before they would even start because I played quarterback. I mean, I wasn't you know a great quarterback, but I saw the plays and I I, was, I passed the ball a little bit, and I just understood how offenses work. So, you know, I was you know all team all, all first team all state first team defense my senior year just because I knew where to be and how to you know disrupt plays. So I think that provides a unique perspective to our defense. Uh, with uh, Joey McGuire uh, on the defensive side of the ball. You know, this three down front, I really like it. I mean, everyone plays it in the Big 12, TCU, OU, uh, Oklahoma State. Everyone has, like, different variations of it. And I think that's, you know, what really unique about this defense is that you can get into so many different fronts. You can get a bare front where you have essentially looks like a five down lineman, but you have two outside linebackers on the line of scrimmage. And then you can walk the, the, the middle linebacker up or the, the, the Sam linebacker up on the line, uh, the, the middle and a safety up um, and interior to the line. Then you can cause chaos with uh, an offensive line. And usually when the offensive line see a bare front, they go 5-0, which is typically – like, hey, I got the man in front of me, and let's just all fan out. Then it's much easier to send dogs, which are linebacker, you know, blitzes, and then blitzes, which is cornerback and, you know, safety blitzes, and put pressure on the quarterback. I thought we did a great job of diagnosing some of those plays. SFA actually caught us in a couple of plays where, you know, we were in, you know, a, a front, a over, under front, and the linebacker would drop out and they would run to that side. So I, I, I feel like it'll be good as, as these guys get more and more game reps at it. Um, but I do like it because you can keep a lot of athletes on the field. And if you, you know, look, you know, Graylin Orno, Tejada, you know, all these guys on the back end, when we're, you know, Blake Lynch, we're bringing all these guys in uh, in rotation I mean, you got seven, eight athletes back there that can run, that can hit, that can tackle. Um, I think that does a great, I mean, it just does a lot of great things for Baylor, especially when you have Lynch, Lockhart, and Bravion Ward um, in, in the interior of the defense. 
making sure that they uh, make things happen. And, you know, the downside is this. If we go to a three-man front and we don't have, you know, an over-under look where, you know, there's a shade one way or another depending on the strength of the offense, what happens is it's easier to climb to the linebackers. So you have a lot more guard action on, you know, blocking the Mike linebacker. Maybe he can climb up uh, the tackles and tight ends. They can get up to the safeties. But, I mean, it didn't change much. Bravion Roy... Our safety, Chris Miller, and Clay Johnston led the team in you know tackles. Last year, Johnston and Miller led the team in tackles, and I don't think there's going to change uh, with this defense because they both understand how to diagnose plays and, and get to the ball and, and get there with attitude. Um, so uh, I'm really eager to see how this works with a more up-tempo offense and a, a team that can definitely uh, solidify the run a little bit better than what SFA did. Now, I don't foresee UTSA doing anything different. Uh, I think we still control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball this weekend, but you know we're just going to go out there and have fun uh, and make sure we get another win in the win column and notch uh, 2-0 to start the season for 2019 Baylor Bears. So we've talked plenty about what we saw from Baylor against SFA. Now the question is, what will we see from UTSA? I think Baylor fans are going to be baited this week into thinking we can just dominate UTSA the way we did SFA, and that's simply not the case. This past Saturday, UTSA was led by quarterback Frank Harris in his first collegiate action after dealing with some injuries, and he impressed, completing 28 of 36 passes for 206 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception, while also rushing the ball 15 times for 100 and 23 yards, looking eerily similar to Baylor's favorite all-time quarterback, Robert Griffin III, in a dominating dual-threat performance. We also can't underestimate just how good of a coach Frank Wilson is there at UTSA. And so to tell us more about the Roadrunners this season and how they played this past Saturday against an inferior opponent in a similar fashion to Baylor, Here's J.J. Perez, and let me say something about J.J. Perez. There's a lot of guys that cover Baylor football. Like, just because I work at Bears Illustrated with Tim Watkins and Kevin Barrera and Andrew Miner, and those are great guys, and they're doing great work. But let's be honest, if I want the scoop on Baylor football, we're going to probably go look at Craig Smoke or Colt Barber's Twitter feed right? We're just very privileged in Waco to have a lot of outlets that specifically cover Baylor football. There isn't that much coverage of UTSA's football program. Remember, this is a very young football program, and nobody is covering them closer or better than J.J. Perez. If you want the best scoop on the UTSA Roadrunners, Go to Inside Runner Sports, that's their 247 page, and read anything that J.J. has written up over the past couple weeks. All that to say, J.J. was kind enough to stop in with us and preview this game as Baylor gets ready to take on UTSA at McLean Stadium. Why don't you open us up by just telling me what you saw out of UTSA? You know, we can look at a box score and and a recap all day long over here in Waco, but it's kind of hard to judge exactly what a game went like from that. Why don't you tell us just your general impressions of UTSA's win last night? Well, it it came against an FCS opponent, uh, Incarnate Word, crosstown rival. First First time both those programs have ever played each other. And uh, the, I guess the biggest takeaway is 
UTSA has offense. They, they, they've struggled with the offense probably for about a year and a half now. And um, Frank Harris made his collegiate debut at quarterback. And that's probably the biggest thing that um, he spent the, the greater part of the last three years recovering from uh, ACL injuries, one from one knee, one from another knee. And nobody really knew what to expect from him. And he was pretty much legit. He was the guy who um, who came in and made things happen. Yeah, Harris's statistics pretty astounding. Do you think just from watching these two schools, and I know it's the first game, so it's really, really hard to say, but do you think that is a product of just how good he is, or does did Incarnate Word look a little overwhelmed? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, um, Frank Harris had a had a pretty good performance. His ability to escape pressure, um, it, to move his feet, it, it really is something special, something UTSA's offense hasn't had in several years. But you're also dealing with an FCS program that had, you know, undersized defensive linemen and you know it was it's kind of hard to make a judgment off that yeah and you know Baylor went through the same thing playing against a a team in Stephen F. Austin you know very similar situation where exactly you're clearly dominating uh in most aspects of the game but how good are you really playing you know and I think we both could say that is for both of these teams this is a win you want and you need and it's encouraging just in the dominating fashion both teams won. But there's a lot to learn when, when you play games like that. You see a lot of the flaws even though you win big. What were one or two of those things for UTSA where you're happy with the result, but you know you got to clean up these couple of things going into this game against Baylor? Right. The, the, the first thing that jumped out, there were several negative plays in the rushing game some runs up the middle got stuffed and that was kind of one of the things I wanted to watch was the improvement of the offensive line for the greater part of a year and a half UTSA struggled because they haven't been able to run the ball and at all and they were able to kind of get off to schneid in this first game and it, it looked like things were good but at the same time there were some negative plays that made you wonder like hey are they still working through this the biggest negative takeaway that I have from you know the season opening win was penalties. UTSA was flagged, I think, eleven times for 143 yards, and that you can't win doing that in most in most games. So um, a lot of that there was a lot of chippiness on the field. Um, uh, and Carnet Word was doing some talking during the week about how they felt like they were the the team in San Antonio that they ran San Antonio. And I think some of that carried over onto. The, uh, the football field, there was a lot of unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and, you know, just stuff that's uncharacteristic of a Roadrunner team in years past. So those are probably the two things that would most concern me coming out of the, this game and something I, I want to see headed into the rest of the season. You talked about the rushing game. Frank Harris did lead the team in rushing. Were most of those designed quarterback runs, or was he doing a lot of scrambling and breaking out of plays to make those plays happen? Most of those were not designed runs. They they did a few zone reads where um, he he decided to to make the play, but you know he had time. Uh, he'd go through his second, third, fourth progression on pass plays. And, you know, once the pocket broke down, he just made things happen. And it was so casual, but at the same time, so very jaw-dropping in how he made some of those plays. So um, 
I remember one particular set of series in the in the second quarter when UTSA scored on three straight possessions and pretty pretty much put UTSA, you know, in the driver's seat for the game. Frank, it was a third and one. Frank Harris picked it up uh, on a on on just a scramble out of the pocket. They ended up calling a holding penalty in the next play almost the same exact situation he picks up 19 yards for the first down and it's just it looked casual it looked like something I mean he's a very dynamic player a three-star talent you know one of the top you know talents and recruits in San Antonio the year he came out of high school so it looked like the Frank Harris of old and you know it's really difficult to kind of game plan around you know, what he could do with his legs. And he was pretty good with his passing as well. And so for a school like Baylor, you go from playing Stephen F. Austin to UTSA, it almost feels like the natural next step up. For UTSA, going from Incarnate Word to a Baylor squad that won seven games last year and is looking to be even better this year, that's a pretty big leap up. How does Coach Wilson go about preparing this team to go from playing Incarnate Word to playing Baylor on the road? Yeah, that it, it's a tough task. I mean, you you mentioned that the the, the the Bears are obviously improved. UTSA UTSA beat them two years ago in Waco, but last year the Baylor came back and kind of had their way with the Roadrunners, and that was part of a struggling 2018 season that UTSA wants to almost forget about, but I think that's part of the natural progression of of how this program, this program's trying to turn themselves around from just an absolute dismal season. And I mean, sometimes you have to take your lumps to do that. Uh, Baylor's much improved. The, the, the spread's going to be huge. It, I mean, they're going to be massive double-digit um, underdogs and you just got to go out and play. I mean, upsets happen all the time. You see it every week in college football. And I, I mean, I think UTSA almost has a little bit of element of surprise because there's not a lot of film on this quarterback. Uh, the, the offensive coordinator is a first year coordinator and the defense is pretty good. They, they return a bunch of guys. They have a lot of talent there and you know, you just kind of line up and play. You just, it's a tough sled for UTSA in non-conference. They have Baylor. The week after, they have Army, which was a pretty good team last year. And then in November, they play Texas A&M. So it's, it does not get easier for the Roadrunners from this point on. Give us a little bit of insight, a little bit of a scoop. If UTSA is going to upset Baylor and Waco, we know that Harris is dynamic. What are one or two other little gadgets or tricks or maybe areas where UTSA could really surprise the Bears and get some momentum in that game? Well, I think it comes down to that UTSA has a pair of running backs, a true freshman running back, Sincere McCormick, who who made his debut last night and was pretty good. And then a sophomore, a true sophomore running back, Brendan Brady, who actually was one of the top receivers out of the backfield for the Roadrunners. So um, those two guys were among the top two guys in all-purpose yards for UTSA. And it just feels like they like to get those two guys the ball in space, whether it be, you know, flare routes out of the backfield, uh, pitches, and, you know, just uh, Frank Harris's security blankets, it feels like, in the in the past game. There's also, we saw for the first time in, in, in really a long time, UTSA went double tight end on a few offensive sets. The tight ends really got involved in the passing game, 
And, you know, it seems like there's not any favorites out there. So it's going to be hard for the Baylor defense to really pinpoint what's going to happen and who to really scheme in on. But if if there's going to be, you know, a massive upset of what this game is building, like the, the, the Bears are going to be massive favorites. If there's going to be a, an upset, it's going to come down to, you know, UTSA's defense making causing turnovers, you know, wrecking havoc. And um, we didn't see a lot of that in UTSA's opening game, but the defensive line played well. They did put some pressure on the quarterback and they rotate three guys at each position. So they played 12 defensive linemen yesterday. And I think that's where you could look at and say, hey, if UTSA's defensive line is putting pressure, that changes kind of the whole outcome of the game. For Baylor, I think putting pressure on Harris is going to be a key, too. And Baylor's got one of the best defensive linemen in the country in junior James Lynch. How is Coach Wilson going to attempt to stop him other than obviously just coaching up your lineman to maybe double him and man up, you know, against such a force on the defensive front there? So what what I noticed uh, a lot yesterday that I haven't seen kind of in practice or the practice isn't open to the media for – they, the whole portion of practice we get to see two two or three ses- sessions uh, a week in the off season and in season it's closed. So what I noticed yesterday is they were using tempo. Um, they didn't huddle much when they got going, and a lot of the offense was I don't want to say dink and dunk, but fast, quick hitting plays. And I think when you're able to do some of that, that negates a really strong you know, defensive line and, you know, that that sometimes a quick, fast offense is no matter what the defense do, it, they just can't keep up. The pass rusher can't get to the quarterback if the ball gets out in a second or two. So I think we may see some of that to kind of to kind of negate what what Baylor brings. JJ, you can't educate Baylor fans on what an up-tempo offense can do for you after the Art Bryles years, man. We know all about yes. those quick no-huddle situations, bro. Um Last thing for you, man. Go ahead and give us what you think we'll see in Waco on Saturday. It's going to be really hot. Three o'clock kickoff. I imagine the heat's going to be a factor. What do you expect out of the Roadrunners, and what do you expect the result of the game to be? Well, I, I, I when you, I look at the schedule at the beginning of the season, I kind of forecast what's going to happen, and I have this game penciled in as a loss for the Roadrunners. I do think uh, the game will be a lot closer than people think. I, I see the Roadrunners hanging on, uh, at, at least in the first half. I see kind of a one-score game going into the second half, but eventually I just think, you know, the home field advantage, you know, Baylor's much improved, and, you know, UTSA's still trying to turn a corner from a pretty rough 2018 season. So all in all, I think it's going to be a, a Baylor win, probably a, a low double-digit, you know, two to three score difference but i i think the roadrunners cover the spread if you will and you know while there are no moral victories in sports in football you could you could take things and try and garner momentum and i think if they're able to do a few positive things and hang tough against a good baylor team they'll they'll be able to 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 have some momentum heading heading into the rest of the season Have a couple of other thoughts concerning this past Saturday's win against Stephen F. Austin. First of all, here's Andrew Miner of Bears Illustrated with his weekly Miner Minute talking about the importance of Baylor special teams. He also has an article about this up at Bears Illustrated. Take it away, Andrew. 
Thanks, Scotty. It's great to be back on the Please Bear With Me podcast with the Minor Minute, where we look to highlight a few key takeaways on Baylor football each week. Baylor crushed Stephen F. Austin this past Saturday, 56-17. It's easily the best performance versus an FCS opponent in the Matt Rule era. There are some kinks to iron out during this next week of practice, however it was a dominating game in all three phases. And the Bears looked much better than fellow Big 12 members West Virginia and Iowa State did against their FCS foes. Remember, it wasn't all that long ago where Baylor lost to Liberty. In the preseason, there was a general consensus from everyone that Baylor had great returning production and a favorable schedule that could get them to 8 or 9 wins with an outside shot at a Big 12 title berth. The biggest reason they may be able to do this will be their special teams play. Blake Lynch blocked the first punt of the game on Saturday after a defensive 3 and out, which led to the first touchdown of the year for Baylor. Later, freshman Gabe Hall blocked a lumberjack field goal. And last year, Baylor led the nation in blocked kicks with seven total that swung momentum in games against Duke, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. They pulled out come-from-behind victories against the Wildcats and the Cowboys thanks to this. And if these blocked kicks don't happen, then the Bears do not go bowling. I asked Coach Rule about his dedication to special teams, and he told me that his teams have success because they practice it harder than most other teams do, since it can be pivotal to swinging the momentum and winning games. Since 2013, Rule's teams have blocked a total of 28 kicks, 9 in his first two years at Baylor. And if Saturday was not any indication on how 2019 will play out, the Bears should have sustained special team success, with a block kick potentially getting Baylor a key upset late in the year and a Big 12 championship game berth. For all Baylor football news, check out BearsIllustrated.com. For this Minor Minute, I'm Andrew Miner, Sick'em Bears. While I was tailgating, I ran into Paul Catalina and your boy Q of 1660 ESPN in Waco. Both guys have been friends of mine and guests on this podcast in the past. And they were talking about just how much of a good time T-Rex was having. Of course, T-Rex, the mega fan from Kansas City, drove down just for the game, always wearing his green mask. And you know T-Rex well, I'm sure, especially if you're on Baylor Twitter. I had T-Rex on the show last year as a guest and asked him to give us a quick update of how his Saturday went at McLean Stadium. So here's T-Rex. Hey, Baylor Nation, T-Rex here. Just want to talk real briefly about how electric McLean Stadium was on Saturday for the fans showing up at 8 a.m. to start tailgating all the way into the night after the game. The Baylor line showing up 8,500 plus strong and staying the entire game and every other person in that stadium flinging their green and gold afar for the entire game. Every touchdown scored, every blocked kick, it did not matter. Fans are giving each other high fives, fist bumping, bumping chest, raising their babies in the air like little Simbas. It was a great time. Everybody there had an amazing time. It was a party. And if you haven't been to McLean Stadium in a long time or ever, highly suggest you get there. And if you don't have plans to be there this year, then you need to change those plans, Baylor Nation. Before we get out of here for this week's podcast, I did want to talk about the uniforms that were seen on the field for the first time this weekend, as well as preview the upcoming matchup versus UTSA, let you know how I think that's going to go down. As far as the uniforms, I've never liked the pickle look, right? The green, green, green look, but the uniforms looked pretty good. I really like the way the new gold pops in contrast to the green. The numbers and the names were easy to read. Those uniforms look really sharp. I still would have liked to see us go gold, green, gold, or maybe white, green, white, or another combination featuring the green jersey with a different helmet, but I really liked just the overall aesthetic of the new uniform. Let me know what you thought of the new uniforms on Twitter at bear underscore 
podcast. I also wanted to relay a couple of funny stories I heard from this past weekend. Number one, I heard, and God bless this guy, I'm, I'm really not trying to make fun of him, but there was a Baylor freshman who broke a finger running the Baylor line. And I got to tell you, you got to be careful running that Baylor line, freshman. Be careful. Number one, get as close to the front as you can at the start of the game. I was at the front of every Baylor line because I got to the stadium three hours early. Sometimes that's what you got to do. If you want to run out in front and avoid any injury, that's what you got to do. And number two, when you are in that mess, just you got to go. You can't stop. You can't hesitate. You just got to go full speed all out. And if you go down... I don't know if it's actually best to jump back up as quick as you can and keep running or like cover your head and curl up into the fetal position. I really don't know what's the recommended strategy. Maybe Baylor Chamber or somebody else who is an expert at running the Baylor line can reach out to me and let me know. Another goofy thing that I couldn't help but just laugh at and mock a little bit on Twitter. The Baylor Golden Wave Marching Band did a halftime performance based on boy bands right and that's great i mean i like boy bands you can throw some shade at me all you want for that but in sync backstreet boys like that's iconic music into the 90s early 2000s right and i'm in particular like in sync i really do like in sync's catalog of music and like what justin timberlake has done with his music since and i think they kind of represent the best of that boy band era and the baylor golden wave band announcer as the band prepared to perform Bye 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 by NSYNC, he said N-S-Y-N-C. He spelled out the name. He did not know who NSYNC was, and nobody took the time to tell him how to say NSYNC. He said, coming up, the hit from N-S-Y-N-C. And it took me a little bit to register that he was trying to say NSYNC. At first, I was like, oh, I've never heard of that band. And then I realized he was trying to say in sync. Hysterical. If you didn't hear it, you missed out. That was so funny. Here's my prediction against UTSA. I did say last week that we're going to roll in this game, and I still think that's true. I did not anticipate that they would have a breakout star at quarterback. I did not know much about Frank Harris or UTSA's roster, to be honest, but Looking at the matchup, I still think Baylor dominates in every phase of the game. I think being at home helps. I don't think it's a runaway victory like last week. I think some of those mistakes that we got away with against SFA, we can't get away with against UTSA. But I do think ultimately Baylor's talent just overwhelms UTSA. Being outside in some really bad heat, like you heard me mention to JJ, will work in the Bears' favor instead of the Roadrunners' favor. And so I've got Baylor winning this game this week, something like 42-21. to 21. A lot closer than the SFA game, but really no reason to worry. I wouldn't take the line this week if you're a betting kind of person. If you're looking at the line, according to oddshark.com, Baylor is currently a 26 and a half point favorite. I would take the under on that. I would. I think we win by three touchdowns, which is comfortable and good, but I don't know that we win by four touchdowns. So 26 and a half as of the release of this podcast is the line. I would take the under. That's your betting tip for the week. I did want to say thank you before I close out the show. If uh, you were one that encouraged me on Twitter, I had my first opportunity to be on a live broadcast this past Friday night. I am working with the radio station KULP here in El Campo, Texas to broadcast the El Campo Ricebirds 4A Texas High School football. I had an absolute 
blast doing it. And I have a long way to grow as a live broadcaster. What's fun about creating these podcasts is that I can say things as many times as I want to get them right, to get them to where they sound good. Whereas live, it comes out of your mouth once and it's out there forever. But I thoroughly enjoyed being a part of a live football broadcast. I hope to do it for many years to come, whether that's just in the community I'm a part of as a minister or whether that's, you know, in another context sometime. And so very thankful. And I want to specifically thank John Morris, Tyler Holcomb, Vince Erickson, and Paul Catalina, all of whom let me come into their broadcasting booths as a child or as a high school student and just watch and learn and even participate in some off the air ways and really helped me fall in love with broadcasting. It's why I'm doing this podcast. It's because I love broadcasting and sports radio. It's why that all I listen to throughout every day is guys like Dan Patrick and Colin Cowherd, and then you make the call back in Waco's David Smoke show. And it's why I'm so thrilled to be doing this Friday night broadcasting gig here in El Campo. So thank you so much. If you're bored on a Friday night at any point, please feel free to tune into KULP El Campo. You can stream that on the web and listen to our broadcast. I don't get to talk just a whole ton because I'm mostly the statistician, but I did get to chime in some thoughts this past Friday about how the game was going and do some very, very simple color analysis. And again, I just thoroughly loved it. And so many of you were very kind about that on Twitter, and I appreciate it. Speaking of which... This podcast is for you. If you have anything that you want to see on the podcast, if you have a thought for the podcast, feel free to let me know. I plan on including some of these little recording bits every week, just like I did with T-Rex this week. If you have a thought that you would like to share with the listeners of Please Bear With Me, get in touch with me and let's get you on the podcast. We've got some exciting things coming up in the future, but for now, let's get excited about this game Saturday against UTSA. If you don't have plans to get to Waco, make plans to get to Waco. Beat the heat. Let's go cheer on our Baylor Bears as they take on the Roadrunners. For Bears Illustrated, for Martin Thomas, my producer who's out this week, for Tim Watkins, for everybody who's supported this podcast all the way through, I'm Scotty Swingler. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Sick'em Bears. Thanks to J.J. Perez, Terrence Ganaway, T-Rex, and Andrew Miner for their contributions to today's show. All of the music you hear today is from Iron Kids. Check them out, Iron Kids Music. We're brought to you by 247 Sports, Bears Illustrated. Thanks to Tim Watkins. My name's Scotty Swingler, and this has been Please Bear With Me.